The talk tonight is a culmination of a year-long series of talks. There'll be one class, a discussion on this particular topic tonight, and then we'll go to a, a, a review of the whole topic uh, for the last talk of the whole sequence. But the actual final link of the sequence uh, is this evening. And it's just, it's just interesting to see what we've been uh, doing this whole year. I hope it's had some impact or if you've been following or you've, um, you've encouraged or inclined your mind towards this topic. Uh, because really it, it's the forerunner of all topics from here out. But it, it, because it shows us the creative force that has been behind the display of the world as we have known it to be. And it is the way that we have created within that force, not only the world that we know, but also the sense of I that knows it. And so we've, from uh, link to link to link to link, it's been some 12 links, somehow managed 20 talks from 12 links. Each one formulated itself into a gathering storm of I, you might say. The conditions became uh, ripe for the sense of self-formation, but it needed all those ingredients. It's like a perfect soup. And at some point along the line of all of that gathering, uh, those gathering conditions, arose ourself. Although ourself was not one of the formations or one of the conditions that is there within those links. You won't find a link called myself that led to something else. All of those links together, the confluence of all those links formed the idea of me. And so once we have the idea of me assured, convinced, we are convinced that we are, that we are, that we are, not that there is, if you can get the subtlety of what I'm saying, it would be helpful. Not that that, that which uh, is aware, it's, it's, the, it's the product around the awareness. It's the sense of ownership of the awareness that is the formation that takes shape. And it takes shape around that awareness. And it claims itself to be in personhood. Now, once you have that, from all of the different influences, from, from the arising of name and form and consciousness and states of mind and contact and all of the ignorance more than anything, that leads the, that leads the group, that's the Pied Piper of the linkage. All of that formation following the Pied Piper of ignorance results in the formation of I. The formation of I, with all of the influences of its states of mind and its consciousness and its body formations and its senses coming in and all of that, the organism now concludes from the experience of birth that it is separate from, that it is 
that it is walking the journey of life individually and in isolation. And from that conviction, it then looks out upon the world of other formations as also separate from. And that's why we see the world as we have seen it. And you can take apart that linkage. It's so interesting because you can take it apart piece by piece. And not only will you not find any sense of me in there, you'll only see the different, uh, the different conditioned influences in there. But somehow from that, there is the assurance of me. It's like uh, if you have your automobile, you have an automobile, I know the automobile, but if you took your automobile apart, you'd have the engine and the body of the auto, the steering wheel and the pedals and the seats, and you spread all that around. None of that is an automobile in and of itself, but if you put it all together, you have an automobile. In the same way, you put all these different influences together, you have me. But you can't find me. But there's the declaration of me. And once you have me, you have an inevitability, which I find very interesting, which we have gone into now, because you have the birth of me. The actual physical body coming from the womb Consciousness organizing itself around that physical body. You can see it happening. Those of you who have been parents or been around very small children, you can see, you know, from the dazzling confusion of a young infant that just can't locate him or herself anywhere, suddenly, over time, as this thing builds upon the repository of memory, something comes into place there. God knows what age, but it's pretty well in there, even before the first year of life. There's been something established. And then a whole personality comes in from that. So there's the birth. Now that's the physical birth. But let's just move with that physical birth for a moment. Because as that birth grows over time and ages... It starts the strong identification of body, and it's fine as long as it's young and healthy. We feel like we're at the top of our game. But then there's the crest of the hill and the downside of the hill, which we talked about in the last talk, which is the aging process in which it just doesn't work quite as well. You know, we love the going up because going up is, you know, sort of, the projector, the projectile of going up is towards greater energy and more enthusiasm. And, but then the crest of the hill doesn't, uh, doesn't point in that direction. And it seems to me that we lose things quicker than we gained it on the other side of the hill. <laughs> things start falling away pretty quick. Now you see me at six, almost 67. I hope you'll see me in 10 years, maybe not quite likely with my family history, not. But if you do, this is as vital as you'll ever see me. Right? It's going to get funny from here. 
And if I get too funny, my wife tells me she will take the keys for my car. But I also want you to tell me when it's so funny that I should no longer be up here speaking. Because I may not know that. It doesn't seem to be obvious that people know when to stop driving. All right? So that's the crest of the hill going down. And that's part of the assimilation of the, the continuation of the assumption of our own ability. Inside here, it feels like, you know, I don't feel 67. I feel in my 20s somewhere. In, in consciousness, not in body. As I'm sure you do. So something doesn't age in there. But the body does, and the body is what we're most identified with. And now on the, on the downside of this hill, we have something that we have been avoiding for our entire climb and descent, and that's death. Now, I just want to float the word out there. I want to see, just let, just let the word sit in your consciousness for a second, as you did during the meditation, and just see what it brings up. Just see in free, as free-floating it's a free-floating word in consciousness. I can assume it brings up something for everyone. It could bring up grief from people who have died. It could bring up fear that many of us have in, with our own demise. It could bring up a, a kind of adventuresomeness for those who are hardy enough that, you know, I want to understand this subject. I've been through all of those, all of those different phases. And I know they can't be rushed. When I was a young graduate student, the woman who owned the home that we were sharing moved back into her home because she was dying and had nowhere else to go. And even though I was studying psychology, I was unwilling to spend time with her because of my fear of what she was going through. I just didn't want to deal with it. I just couldn't deal with it. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I wasn't being unkind. I just couldn't. I didn't have, didn't have the courage to really face that subject on my own, so I avoided her. That, over the next two or three years, changed into something quite differently because at some point I became hungry I knew the fear inside of me, and it changed to a kind of need to understand. And that need to understand led to many, many years in hospice care. So I actually turned the consciousness around from not wanting any part of it to really wanting a total interface with it. And so I know that can happen, but I also know that it really is an evolution and it has to be a gentle evolution. It can't be the evolution of I should. It has to be encouraged internally. It has to be a timing. There's a kind, and I use, when I use this word, it, I don't mean it uh, as an uh, obstacle for people who don't feel ready. But there's a maturity of consciousness at some point that it wants to know the truth, even the truth around death. It, it wants to understand it. There is a, a yearning of the heart that nothing in life or in consciousness is left unknown. 
And so we start turning up the rocks in the riverbed to see what funny creatures crawl out from underneath. And this is one of those rocks. Now, some of us think we approach this subject when we talk about a Nietzsche impermanence. And some of us, it's interesting, because I was reading an article the other day in a psychological journal. Some people, some high percentage, I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, love change. They dwell beautifully within the vibrancy of change. They adapt, they shift, they move, they're flexible. A somewhat greater majority, but not that small, or not that large of a majority, don't like change, are entrenched and hate change. Either way, there are, whether you like change or you don't like change, or whether you've adapted sufficiently and like the word Nietzsche and impermanence and really head forth in that word because it means something to your Dharma practice, I bring the word death into there as well. And suddenly, even the most, the most assertive among us halt, are in a, in a holding, pat, holding pattern, because few of us have accommodated, we can accommodate change, but few of us have been able to accommodate death. This, this is change. The reason there is death is because the universe is in movement. You can't have movement without the beginning and ending of things. And so a universe that is in flux, in motion, with galaxies colliding, with stars being born and dying, by its very nature, is going to come down, ratchet itself down to the smallest component of itself in that nature, with that same nature. So let us not separate out death from impermanence and Nietzsche. It is the question. And it's interesting to me that so many of us can be with this sense of watching our inward transitions and movement of thought and emotion and external as well and feel like there's no place there that's in any holding pattern, on and on. But this word death freezes us in our tracks. We don't want to invite it in to join the assembly, to the chorus of change. We want to keep it out somehow. And so at some point, a mature consciousness can't keep it out anymore. There's too much stress and resistance. There's too much tension and struggle in trying to keep it out. And so you begin to relax. Say, okay, let me look at this too. What's going on here? What is death? Now at that point, there is a willingness to go into the subject. And what leads that willingness is interest. If you don't have interest in the subject, you probably aren't. The timing isn't right for you. But if there is interest, I encourage your movement. Because what I'm seeing in many of you, as I meet you on and off retreat and in personal and private interviews and week after week, is that you could have been here for a number of weeks, heard the talks about different subjects of the Dharma. And yet when the event that you have been studying or we have been talking about actually happens to you, Right? When you 
you're not prepared for it. It's as if it threw you off the horse very quickly. And it's because there's a kind of passivity in how we listen rather than to be fully engaged in the subject. You have to, it's not a passive activity. Dharma coming here and listening is not a passive activity. It's not a sit back and, and evaluate. Oh, that was a good talk. Did you like it? It's not like that. It presses the point forward and we need to press along with it. We have to take this subject if this is the subject that you find interesting, but it can be any subject, and we have a variety of subjects that we, that we offer. And you take one of those subjects, it could be any of the lengths of dependent origination, for instance, states of mind, or, or naming, and, naming and consciousness and naming, or naming and form. It can be any of that. But you start pressing it forward. You start looking at it. You start realizing the truth. You start letting that experience of, of what the talk is about, what the homework applies, implies, you start moving with it. You start pushing it. You start... See, that's, that's, the, that's the, the word in Pali, eipasiko, means come and see for yourself. It really comes down to that. Our willingness to come and see for ourselves, to push the point forward for ourselves. Not to be passive and just listening, but actually engaged in this thing. And the reason I'm saying that is because we're all getting old in here. It's time. I mean, in 20 years' time, will you have grown at all? Or are you making this your subject. And this is a great one. Death and dying is a great one to stand upon and to push forward. Death wakes us up. So, it it began the night, the subject was tied into the Dharma the night the Buddha left his, his princely quarters and went out with his charioteer and viewed different aspects of life that he had not been familiar with. And I don't believe he wasn't familiar with them. I, don't believe, I just don't believe they registered with him deeply because he's a young man. But they registered that night. And they're called the heavenly messengers because they got his attention. And those were, you know, an aging man, a sick man, a dying man, or a corpse, actually, and then a wandering ascetic. And somehow the mixture of all of those, if the mythology is right, reached a crescendo in him. And he realized that he had been so protected, which I think is the real meaning behind the myth of him never having any, never uh, living entirely in a palace where he didn't see any aging, he didn't see any corpses, he didn't see anybody dying, he didn't see any sickness. That sounds ludicrous to me. But what it does mean to me is that he had built that inward fortress in himself where he refused to see that. That's the denial that each of us have to break down those walls of our own palace, 
where we stand behind and begin to look at this possibility of death and dying in ourselves. And he, what happened to him was that it reached, it reached a, a point where he was resolved to find a resolution to these problems, to resolve the question of death, not just to die, but to resolve the question of death, which is a very different application of your attention. So what what does that mean, to resolve the issue of death? And how does that look when you fit it back into dependent origination? Because the Buddha is giving us an opportunity through dependent origination to resolve the question of death. In fact, you could say that the Dharma inquiry, the Dharma path, that spiritual search is the search to end and resolve the question of death. And that spiritual awakening is how to, how to undermine the conditions that move inevitably in that direction. It's a different way of saying suffering to the end of suffering. So how is it in this presentation of form, how form builds itself? Is there a possibility for us to resolve this issue? That's the first thing. Okay? Parallel with that is we do not resolve the issue being afraid of the issue. You have to enter the issue in order to resolve the issue. You can't resolve it at arm's length or through intellectual understanding. So the fear of the issue is part of its, the resolution of the fear is part of its understanding of its, of its, of its ending. So now what we have been doing for this year, I'm always, I'm always concerned that, you know, when I give you a talk and then a, you know, two weeks later I give you another talk and we do a discussion and I give you another talk that the pieces kind of fall out. It's like, what was that talk connected to that talk, and how does that connect to that talk? What's really important that you understand how all these things are connected. And if you have to go back and do a little more research on it, please do, because it is very important. Because each of these links is a partial, is the growth of in the embodiment of me that fears death. However it got imprinted or however that was established in our consciousness. I remember being a young boy on a paper route and having to deliver papers in the funeral home. And to do so, I had to walk past and often an open casket to put the paper where they wanted it delivered. And I would have a friend go with me and I would pay the friend to pay, take the paper in. And he would go... <laughs> I'm just showing you the level of denial that we can all, okay? We're all in this together, my friends. So how, how does dependent origination solve the question of death? Okay, when we realize that dependent origination is how form is created to be something, 
It's the sequencing of how form becomes and establishes itself to be something in the world. And look around. Everywhere you see there is a formation. That formation is tied to your mental uh, projection onto that formation. Your memory of what it is, your, your state of mind and emotional reaction to what it is, your pleasure or unpleasant experience about what all of that and all the story and narrative associated with all of that formation. That is the mental way that we form ourselves because when we are afraid of something, I'm very much in place in here, and whatever I'm afraid of is very much in place out there. Those two arise together like two sides of a tent pole. And dependent origination describes that process, how that formation occurs. Okay, so if we buy into the form of life, and to the fact that, yeah, I'm in this state where I think I'm somebody and everything else outside of me is something, then we can be assured that along that same track will be birth, old age, and death, and sickness. All the heavenly messengers. Why are the heavenly messengers? Because they're based in ignorance. And therefore, they can be seen through as transparent. Everything in dependent origination can turn around when we bring awareness into the linkages. When we bypass through denial, when we're afraid of looking, when we sense that there's something to fear and not willing to look. We have a band going here, don't we? (laughs) 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 Then you can be sure... I don't even remember what I was saying. When this, when this thing gets going and the sequence takes off, it's almost, as it gets, gains momentum, it's almost too much for us, you know? There's so much momentum, it's like, you know, this train coming, barreling speed down the tracks and we're standing out in front of it saying, I see you, I see you, now you disappear because I see you. You know, so you have to kind of pick it apart in areas that you're interested in and you derail it slowly, not often at the moment that you're dying, although that can be a very fruitful moment and I can give you some stories about that. But it's often a a climatic moment. It's better to work throughout your life to derail this thing than to wait until you're dying, if I can encourage you a little But it's the form. It's just what we've made the world to be. When we make the world separate, we make it confusing. When we make the world separate, we have set the world in motion. All form is in motion. Only form is in motion. This is to give you emphasis. (laughs) All form is in motion. So death is going to be part of form. It's inevitable. If we form the world and we form ourselves, death is going to take both sides of those, those book ends. However, what did it form? What did these de- links of dependent origination, what did it form 
out of. Right? We should be able to answer that question. What, 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 what you, if you make a cake, you can tell me the ingredients. That's what the cake is made from. Okay? What are each of us made from? What is each thing in this world made from? Although you can perhaps give me the observations, the scientific elements, that the composition, you cannot tell me what it's made from because ultimately it's made from nothing. From formlessness comes form. I don't know how that works, people. It's mysterious beyond belief. How all this forms. I don't know. It's just a miracle. But it does. And it does so out of nothing. Isn't that amazing? See, all along the line, these 12 links of dependent origination are building upon nothing, layer after layer of nothingness. In the same way that I could look and tell you what the coating of that bell is and the metal that is, it is and the elements that are composed in that metal and the number of electrons and protons, etc. And all the way through, when you get down to the smallest thing, it's nothing. So too, the Buddha has shown you layer after layer of how you are built and the world is built upon your ideas, always remember that the forms are not just for the formation of me, it's the formation of the world as we know it, and me within that world. But it's made out of nothing. And therefore, here's the real death, is the willingness to inquire it back to its nothingness. Pause. You see, that's where we're really afraid to go. We'd rather die with body, even though we're miserable in all ways that that death, physical death, will take us, and this, you know, all of that hand rubbing and all of that screaming and yelling, all of that. We'd rather have that. Even if it means old age, sickness and death. Than to inquire into the nothingness. Say that... Again, it's readiness to do that. And I'm not uh, judging someone who isn't ready. But for those of us who are, as you begin to look at these links of dependent origination, you see everyone ghost-like, really. What's a thought? Just take a thought. What's a thought? I mean, we base our life on it. What is it? It seems like something. Right? It seems crucial for every... 
thought seems crucial for, because it makes everything what I think it is. So it's crucial. It's a crucial link in the whole thing. It's the name and form, also one of the links in dependent origination. And then when you have name and form plus the mental formations that accompany it, plus the memory of all your history, plus the sense of you having a consciousness, plus all the sense data coming in confirming your body, guess what? You have someone who's going to die. See, are we willing to push it? Are we willing to push it this far? Well, perhaps not. And for those of us who aren't, then we have to enter the body and deal with it from that perspective. It's still a hell of a journey, even if we claim, okay, I'm here, I got a body, I'm going to die, I am going to die, which is not true. That statement is based in ignorance. But it's where most of us land because of the trepidation of seeing the truth of formlessness, of taking ourselves back to the, to the emptiness that we are. We stay, well, I'll deal with it as a subject that's going to happen to me. You see? In either case, we have to deal with a sub, it as a subject. We can't be afraid of it, and the fear of it sends us to nothingness. The fear of being somebody, I will, now I'll be nothing. You know, I'll be a poof. You can't do it that way. You have to go through the subject. So some of this momentum of maturity can be gathered through actually the exploration of the body in sickness. It's a great place to begin, because all of us get sick, it's a great place to practice dying when you get sick. Right? So, you have the flu. Okay? So, this is it. What do you think you're going to die feeling good? (laughs) So, now let me just relax into this Miserable feeling I'm in. See how easy that is. You see? So we had better start moving with this thing. Start learning about it. Start pushing the limits or the boundaries of what we know about it. And death is a beautiful tool to do just that. Beautiful because it... All of us have an enormous charge around it. But because there's an enormous charge around it, we can often have the greatest insight from the greatest fears we have about the world. Large fear, potentially a large insight. Dramatic insight. And the realization that we are going to die changes everything. I can almost, when I meet people, almost tell you in the quality of the contact whether they have realized their death or not. Not always.
Because if they have, there's a straight path to nothingness. Nothing's in the way anymore. The channel's open. If we have been willing to face that fear and to come not to resignation, because resignation is not full embrace. Resignation is begrudgment. This is full embrace, full understanding that this will die. Period. See, that throws everything wide open. Wide open. If there's any kind of movement to that fact, I'm not wide open. I'm trying to find a, a remedy. The fountain of youth, anything. Give me another year. Give me some bargaining chip. But if it's faced directly, again, not by force of will, not by shooting or musting myself forward, but by being genuinely interested in the truth of things, wanting to move because it is true, and not knowing for sure where it's going to take us, never knowing for sure where it's going to take us. It takes us to a vista, a vantage point, a perspective that is not limited because it takes us out of form. See the point here, remembering dependent origination is form, formation. The resolution of dependent origination is Awareness, consciousness, dispelling ignorance, and the fruition of conscious of awareness is formlessness. Formlessness is awareness. And if we have faced our death, we are no longer bundled in the packaging of form. And what kept us informed was the fear we were going to die. That's one of the things. Most fears come from that fear. Most fears are permutations of that fear. The fear of being hurt, the fear of being sick, the fear of this, that, of loss, the fear of losing, the fear of this, or all of it, really. I don't know if there's all fears, but most And so you can feel consciousness just moving outside a form. Not directing itself outside a form, but the disappearance of form. The disappearance of form by following that question of death. Now I have, as I think I mentioned before, I have been at the bedside of people who were willing to move that exploration forward, even at the end of their life, even though, as far as I knew, their life had not been about that inquiry at all. But at the time they were dying, to sit down with them and see, you see, death removes everything 
that is untrue because form, the belief in form is untrue. And death affects form, and so all form has to die. It removes everything from the table that is untrue. And as somebody is dying, they're seeing the untruth of that journey. They're seeing what they have built up around themselves that they believe was true, but they can no longer continue to verify it because it's falling away from them. It's like a melting snowman. And what happens to us when all of the ice crystals have melted? And there is no more form to call oneself. You see? Now we're at the point of having escaped the linkages of dependent origination. Because that cannot die. It cannot change. It has nothing to do with impermanence. It's outside the law of change. It's impermeable to change. And therefore, it's impermeable to death itself. And we have that with us all the time. Like the smallest atom lives, embodies emptiness. We too embody deathlessness. The deathless. We are the deathless. Everything else has been a formation around the deathless. Just like that bell is a formation of many layers around the emptiness of what its actual existence is. And when you're losing it, you see, the beauty of loss, the beauty of change, the beauty of death, the heavenly messenger's song is that if you invest in form, you will die. If you invest in any formation, it will be gone. Does that mean any? Absolute any. And therefore death takes away from us everything that is untrue. Everything that's untrue. And leaves the one thing untouched that it cannot touch. which Christ said, the everlasting life. Everlasting life. That which cannot die. The Buddha called it the deathless. That's what we're doing in meditation. In meditation, we are sitting allowing everything to die. 
by not investing any energy in it whatsoever. Thoughts, emotions, stories, endless stories, physical sensations, body references, the whole package, the whole 12 links of dependent origination, all of it in meditation. It's just allowed to die. Nothing is moved forward. Everything arises in conscious and then falls flat because it's not pushed forward by any thought whatsoever. And so meditation is a beautiful door to be able to see what is left after everything else is released into death. Don't you, aren't you interested in that? Isn't there something in your heart that just, first of all, that confirms you know it's right, you know it's true. But more importantly, it's, it's a guidance system for us. It's because you're filled with it. Each of us are filled with it to the brim. How can that shut itself off no matter how focused we are on form. It can't turn itself off. You're still filled with it, no matter what you display your life to be like. It's still filled to the brim with nothingness. And it's because of that fact we can move forward. And only because of that. If we were something, there would be no movement. Thank you all. Can we just sit for a minute? So you can begin to see the connection between stillness and death. Stillness is the full, your full birthright. It's not a passing state of mind. It's the very ground of yourself. Everything else is just mental conditioning the 12 links acting themselves out from that stillness. We grab this idea and that thought and this story and then what we have to do and where we're going and where we've been, where we're headed, our life's problems, all of that comes from the ground of stillness. There's nothing there but the story we tell ourselves. So when we sit, we let that story die on its own. We don't force it to die. To force it to die would be taking a position and therefore saving ourselves and letting the story die. Any positionality, you're formed. So having no place, just allowing it to die. Allowing the child to cry himself out. Feeling the sense of that ground 
in virtually everything we do so that we look from the ground out to form. I don't understand what form is. It doesn't entangle me in the same way. So you look from the stillness out, letting the formations occur. Okay. If there are any questions or comments about anything, I'd be happy to. Yes. You're going to have to stand up, sweetie, because I just cannot hear you. You have to what? What are you doing here? Okay, so your question is, what are you doing here? Okay, so you have to be very, very quick, very... Um, okay. So what does it mean to let go of the form if we're still here, right? So wouldn't you want to know, before you claim a personal reference of what you're doing here, what you are, wouldn't that determine what you were doing here if you knew what you were? So you're claiming personal reference. You're claiming a formation and say, am I supposed to fake death? Well, what good good is that? What am I doing here? Just to face death? No, your fa- death is going to show you what you are, what you formed yourself into being, what you claim yourself to be as a reference point. And that will change everything in relationship to what you do. Everything. That, that part, formlessness, does not need a purpose or a meaning. Now that may scare you because from the sense of formation, we only know the purpose of meaning to make our life move forward. But true formlessness does not have purpose or meaning. But it has full aliveness. It is not devoid of aliveness. It has full aliveness and it acts as an expression of what needs to be done in the moment it's doing, not as a pre-planned thought about what needs to be accomplished. It's extemporaneous. It's spontaneous. It's combustible. You can be working towards a goal and direction about that, but what I'm encouraging tonight... Now, you can sit down, okay? Now, what I'm encouraging tonight is to really look at the embodied sense of our formation because from that, everything is derived. All of our purpose, meaning, our intention, what we're supposed to be doing, all of that's derived from the formation. 
if the formation isn't what we think it to be, isn't what we have asserted it to be, perhaps everything changes in that new paradigm when it's understood. Okay? It's a question. It's a question that I pose to you. I know some of your answers, this is an anxiety-provoking talk. <laughs> we're talking about death for one thing, and then we're talking about emptiness and relationship to that subject. And we, now we're compounding anxiety with anxiety. Why do you think we're so frightened to be still? Because it doesn't leave us anywhere. It doesn't give us any traction. It doesn't give me any purpose. It doesn't give me a formation. It doesn't give me an intention. I can't, write, I can't be Teddy Roosevelt up, riding up a, whatever the hill he rode up. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it, you see. And so we are as timid in stillness, with stillness, as we are with death. Because to us, stillness is death. Yes. Becca. You talked about um, accepting death not being resignation to, to it, and um, I'm wondering if you could just clarify, like, in thinking of death, if the feeling of resignation kind of comes up, like a sense of relief, and it sort of feels like a shortcut around the actual dealing with it. Yes, but resignation is a shortcut. How do you kind of right. direct right. Right. that? Okay, so the question is, can I talk a little more about resignation? Because resignation is where most of us land, and the fact that we're going to all have to die, we might as well get on with it. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> and, and to be honest, uh, it's often thought of as, as acceptance, but acceptance is not resignation. Resignation, there is still a turning away. There's still a formation occurring. You see, there's still something being made out of something. I'm both making something out of death and me that has to die. And I don't like it. And I'm kind of, you know, it's like, okay, if, if I go, let me be asleep, you know. I'll, I'll die, but let me be, we have our conditions. So, <laughs> you know, do it quick. Well, whatever it is. So, but acceptance is a very different approach. Acceptance moves into the subject. It's an embodiment of it. It's living death as an actuality. You come out, first you take it as a subject of something that's going to happen to your body, but as you move into the subject, you change, your consciousness changes so that it becomes death itself. Don't flip out here, people. <laughs> Stay with me on this. You see, it's with that degree of resolve, it was that degree of honesty, with that degree of, of of just wanting to know what is true. That even death won't dissuade you. Okay, let's see what this is. What's, what is it? And lo and behold, we carry death with us. We carry the emptiness, the stillness that is the real death, which is the real death, 
the body thing, if we, once we know that to be the truth, it's over. The body does what it does. It's over. Okay, all. That's for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.